Hey, it's Lance, your host of yesterday's concert. Before we get this episode started, I want to take 25 seconds to tell you about my other show, Jam Journals. Jam Journals is a podcast that takes you on a journey through music history, featuring live performances from some of the most iconic concerts of all time. Each episode recounts a different concert experience through a dramatic narrative that brings the memories to life with vivid detail and emotion. Join us as we take a trip down memory lane of some of the most unforgettable concerts in recent history. Jam Journals is available everywhere you get podcasts. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. You got to just hide the heavy messages in fun grooves and get <laughs> sounds, you know? And that's that to me is what Marvin did the best, you know, and putting the pill in the peanut butter and people get it and they digest it without tasting it at all. And, and they're just like, man, this feels good, but why is it, why does this feel so good, you know? <laughs> Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Devin Gaffillian about his newest album, Love You Anyway. He shares how he uses charming music to hide the pill in the peanut butter for heavy lyricism. Grab your earplugs, because we're getting some medicine. I'm here with the Devin Gaffillian. One of my favorite artists, beautiful singer, songwriter, guitarist, dude can do it all. He's a stylist too, dude can do it all. Devin, how you doing today, man? Lance, it's so good to be here with you, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, that's what we were talking before. You had an emergency dentist appointment this morning. You're being a trooper and you're here talking to me <laughs> despite the pain, despite all the trials that you had today, dude. Couldn't be more grateful for you. Hey, man, you know, you got to take care of you. You got to take care of your mouth as a singer, you know, you, and also... I've had braces for so long and all that kind of stuff. And you can't be smiling at people with all jacked up teeth. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, my parents paid too much money for, you know, to get these teeth together. So I'm gonna keep it going, you know, but also Lance, this is it. You know, this is the dream. I get to hang on podcasts and, you know, at least I'm not like, I don't know, shoveling uh, horse manure or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's, I uh, actually dug a ditch last weekend. Like I was installing a French drain and I walked away from that like, oh my gosh, they weren't joking. Like digging ditches sucks. Like I'm so glad I don't have to dig ditches for a living. Like that's completely a test which it's a hard job, man. I was not prepared for it at all. So <laughs> completely get it. Well, man, I appreciate it. So let's jump into some icebreakers, get to know each other a little bit better, have some fun. So my first one for you is you've got a fantastic Marvin Gaye covers album. What's one song from his discography that you want to reach in, steal away from him and put your name on and say, I wrote this, I made this? Oh, man. There's so many. Like, that whole album, what's going on, that album is crazy. Like, the I Want You, that album is crazy. Like, if I could choose one song, you know, what's going on is just like the perfect. So perfect song you know as far as like the quality of a song goes like the words written the melody the theme everything around it and if i could take one of marvin's songs i think that would probably be the one i think that's a good answer so let me see if i can jog your memory do you remember the first time you ever heard marvin gay i bet the first time was as a kid 
And my dad, I feel like my dad showed me like what's going on, the album, like as a CD. And I mean, I was probably like seven or eight or something like that, like super young. But there's so many, like it came back in my life so many times. And like we were on tour with Michael McDonald and Shaka Khan for a second. And Michael was like, hey, come sing, take it into the streets with us. And I was like, all right. And they would do, Michael and Shaka would do what's going on and then take it to the streets. And so Michael called me up and was like, all right, we're going to do what's going on. I'm going to call my buddy up, Devin Gilfilly. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, I wasn't even <laughs> ready or prepared. And so I just got up and started singing backgrounds and was like, all right, I got the backgrounds down. I didn't know the song as well as I did now. And then Shaka was like, came to the third verse. She just threw the mic right in my face. And I was like, <laughs> I just like sang like second and third verse stuff put together and like finagled it. And then she turned around when we walked off the stage. She's like, you better learn that song. And I was like, I'm going to die. And that, and after that, I was like, all right, I, this song has to be in my like, in my DNA. <laughs> so incredible. <laughs> so if I put you on the spot to sing it right now, you would know the whole thing. Top to bottom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to. Like, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like the test where you study all night and then forget it as soon as you take the test. That's the one that like sticks with you for the rest of your Like everybody knows what a mitochondria is now because that was just one of those that stuck with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, once Shaka Khan looks back at you and says you need to learn that song, like you just do what she says. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. So moving on, my next question. Your sound is an amalgamation of several genres. You got blues, R&B, rock, folk, indie, etc. You go on and on. What was your very first love? What did you fall in love with and grabbed you the first time? Man, that's so funny. Like you fall in love with as a kid, like musically. And like, I would say the genre that I fell in love with probably was hip hop. But like also like I bought like my first CD that I ever bought was like a corn CD. It was like hard rock. So like from the beginning, I was like, I just loved music that like moved me wherever it was. But like Pharrell, Clips, Kanye, before he lost his mind. And like, that's what I was into. Busta Rhymes and, and P. Diddy. And like, I remember P. Diddy, the remix, like this CD came out and I was all into that. That was the beginning of music for me. And then when I turned 14 was when I really like fell in love with guitar, with Jimi Hendrix, with classic rock, with Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam and like grunge rock too, like all over the place. Well, that's actually the perfect segue into the next question I had for you. I know Hendrix and his guitar playing has been highly influential to you. What's one of his songs that you return to and it still blows your mind every time you hear it? I would say like all along the Watchtower, whenever I listen to that guitar solo on that song, it gives me chills every time. Like it just does. And that's the one song that I always listen back to. And I'm like, ah, wow. Little Wing as well. That's another one that's just like, just so beautiful and just orchestrated so beautifully, so perfectly. And yeah, those two are two that I go to that I'm just like, this is, no one else can do it like you did, Jimmy, you know? No, man, that's, those are both fantastic. 
uh, really great. So my last question for you, this is a sentimental one. I know your father's a musician and based on what I've read, he's been very influential on you in your life and especially your musical pursuits and development. What's the best piece of advice that he's given you just in regards to that? You know, just keep good people around you and, you know, make sure the people around you are, you know, are solid, are good humans, are there for the right reasons. That's been huge for sure. That's really good. Well, man, I appreciate you indulging me on those. But to kind of move into our conversation, I want to talk about the very first time I saw you. And normally I don't do this. I don't like these kind of questions, but it was such a peculiar setting and event that I want to see if you remember the first time. You were supposed to play at the Levitt Shell in Memphis. It was pouring down rain and it got moved to Minglewood Hall. And there was like maybe 50 people there, a bunch of people sitting in lawn chairs in this cold concrete room. Do you remember this? I remember. Oh, absolutely. I remember this. So that night, I just remember I was just, that was literally one of those memories that like core memory kind of concerts for me. Like it was so, I had such low expectations after the move, after seeing the empty room, but you blew it out of the water, man. That was such a great performance that night. What do you remember about it? What was on your end? I remember it raining and I remember it being like, ah, like, is there even going to be a show? And I remember like people bringing their lawn chairs inside and I was just like, oh God, like people get these lawn chairs out of here. Like, come on, let's get, let's make this a party. (laughs) And you know, like to me, I just remember there being like 50 or so people and being like, damn, these people showed up for this show it is time for me to like show up and time for me to like give these people the show that they came here to see. And to me, that's incredible that people like will go through the rain and schedules will be messed up and, but they'll still make it out to the show. And that to me makes me like want to want to give people the best show that I can. In those moments, I always, you know, to me, I'm just like, all right, this is where it matters the most is these like shitty rainy, nights where like we don't think we're going to get to play but we do and we get to play music so let's do this let's have fun that's incredible it's, i mean and like we'll talk some more about this a little later but your disposition that you're sharing right now like that shined through the music that night i mean it wasn't only just the songs and the performance and the musicality that shined through and i do want to talk about that some more but let's talk about your album first but because you were much more kind of blues-based around that time in your approach to a lot of the music. You've definitely advanced and improved and changed. How do you feel you've improved, especially in regards to your live show? You know, the blues have always been there. Rhythm and blues has always been there. Rock and roll is there. Hip-hop is there. Folk is there. Electronic music is there. EDM is there, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many things that are there that I feel like over the years I've been able to like take ingredients and put them into my music and like slowly turn the genres into something that doesn't even matter. And that's my goal is to just like people listen to it and be like, damn, this is just like Devin Gilfillian. I don't know what this, what it is. It's just Devin. And the soul, the R&B, the blues, all that stuff, that'll always be there. But I want to, I feel like it's been able to mesh with other ingredients, other genres more in this album. Love you anyway. Well, that's I was going to say, having listened to you for as long as I have, I feel like this album really kind of 
everything gels like I feel like you've been aiming to this whole time. Like the sound that you've kind of been striving for and aiming for, I feel like this is the album where it all comes together and meshes really well. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I agree. I feel like it does. I've slowly figured out how to try and, and gel some genres together. And to me, that's what Jimi Hendrix did back in the six in the sixties and seventies. He, you know, he was taking R and B and rock and roll and all these different things and messing them up and putting them together. As you were writing this album, where was your heart? Like, what kind of season were you going through as you were writing and preparing this album? Lance, I was falling out of love and then falling in love and learning how to love myself, going to therapy and figuring out like what I wanted to say as an artist after doing all the Marvin Gaye stuff. I was like, this is, you know, Marvin is doing it right. You know, Marvin is saying something and how do I say something as an artist? And also the pandemic, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor being killed and all the injustice that was happening. I knew I wanted to say something just about the polarization too that was happening in this country and is happening. And I wanted to say something that woke people and and made us realize that we're, you know, we're being divided. And I wanted to figure out how to bring people together, how to make people dance and sing and feel love. And then also think a little bit, you know, about the powers that are separating us a little. Yeah. I mean, as you say that, the kind of the weight of the album is hitting me as you're saying that. It, it makes me, it makes me feel good. It's a feel good album in a lot of ways. But what you're talking about is a lot of insanely heavy topics. I mean, even bettering yourself is a heavy topic, even though you're coming out on the other side, a better person. How do you manage that? You got to just hide the heavy messages in fun grooves and good <laughs> sounds, you know? And that's, that to me is what Marvin did the best, you know, and putting the pill in the peanut butter and people get it and they digest it without tasting it at all. And, and they're just like, man, this feels good, but why is it, why does this feel so good? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how much did that, the, the what's going on cover album influence? I mean, that, it sounds like it was pretty influential on you as a, as an artist, like not just his album, but the covers album. Absolutely. It it was influential in the way of just like seeing that it's possible to be political in a way that isn't divisive and it can bring people together. You know, that's how that album inspired me. Yeah, well, that's I mean, the song Let the Water Flow. I mean, it's outstanding and just beautiful. And I mean, that's what you're talking about. I mean, you're more blatant with that song than pretty much any of the other ones about the message, but you do really put the pill and the peanut butter on that one. Can you talk about that song? I just, I would love to hear more about that one. Absolutely. It represents the voter suppression in the South in general and and in, in this country, you know, not just the South, it's everywhere. And it came out of me being frustrated with, I was at the bar with my buddy, Henry Brill, and we were watching the news and Brian Kemp, the governor in Georgia was passing laws that made it harder for people, specifically Black and poor people in specific counties to vote and made it illegal to pass food and water out to them while they're standing in line in these long, crazy lines to vote. And it was, to me, if you're not making it easier for people to vote, then you are 
You're fucking with democracy. And that pisses me off. And so I wanted to make a song about it. And the elections were so inspiring in Georgia, even though Stacey Abrams didn't win the governance. She did so much work in getting Democrats elected in, in Georgia that actually care about the people in Georgia. You know, so that that was inspiring and for the song. And I just want to see it happen everywhere. I want to see, you know, and it's not just left and right, Democrat, Republican. It's unfortunately the Republican Party, the politicians are more focused on taking voting rights away from people and not making people's voices heard. So that's where it comes down to. And that's my opinion. That's some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree. And that's, so did you write this song as all this was unfolding or was it, you had time to let it process? I wrote it as, you know, mostly as that was happening. It was 2021, I think, before the midterm elections. So was it a cathartic experience expressing all that or did it just kind of, was it just a good place to channel the rage? I would say it was a little bit of both, you know, definitely cathartic. And also it feels like a good place to channel rage and to like, the message is clear, you know, it's right there. And it says, yo, we're not taking shit. We want our voices to be heard. That's powerful. Well, it's one of the one of the pressers that I read about the album was talking about it's an anthem for living in the moment. How do you feel that this album translates that emotion and that feeling? I would say that the music immediately just puts you where you're at. You know, like if you're in a car, if you're cooking up some dinner or something. You know, I I love that the music has the ability to put you there and. It also feels like the album itself feels like a reflection of now, of 2023 and the past three years that we've been living in. And, you know, hopefully it takes a look forward at the same time as as looking at, like, you know, everything that was happening. But I feel like it's a true reflection of like the past couple years and like kind of makes you like just be like, all right, you know what? All I really want to do is. You know, the song is about just being in the moment and recipe is all about cooking and making love and like being in that moment. And Better Broken is also about not trying to fix yourself or someone and just loving them for who they are and where they're at right now. And, you know, there's so much presence that is necessary that comes out of the themes in the songs for sure. You talking about just the heaviness and the weight of these things. And then, you know, again, putting the pill in the peanut butter. What's an angry Devin Gaffillian song look like? I mean, because it <laughs> sounds like you, I mean, it sounds like you have a pretty good refining process to the songs from the initial emotion to the final product. So what's it look like to be angry for you? I mean, that does, that seems foreign just from speaking with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like I, I would love to put out an album that's like Rage Against the Machine, you know? You should. Like, Tap into that corn album, man. <laughs> Get some freak on a leash. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> That's just great. Straight up, like just mom track. Like, you know, like I would, I definitely have like done so much like rocking out to rage. Just like imagine myself as Zach De La Roca or in fucking, uh, what's Tom Morello? Morello, you know, and like, Screaming sounds funny to me, coming out of me. You know, it's like when you see somebody get mad and you're like, man, that 
they're not a good angry person. It's like <laughs> watching a five-year-old get throw a tantrum. You know, it's like that. Like, I think follow the leader is like the way I channel rage. Like that's my, and I channel it through like irony, you know, through sarcasm. And that song is a, is supposed to be about being Donald Trump and being a cult leader and being people just following, just not thinking, just following. And so anger, I feel like it comes out in, in like sarcasm and jokes and stuff. You're putting this light and that's, again, it goes back to that first time I saw you, it was this beacon of light from the stage. You were radiating positivity in a lot of ways. Where does that come from and who you are? Like as a person, where did you learn to do that? If you just woke up as a baby and were like, hey, I'm a happy-go-lucky baby, or is it something you kind of developed over time? You know, that's a great question, Lance. I think over maybe my whole life, I've always tried to find the funny in the situation and the ridiculousness in the situation. And so therefore making it funny and I also just feel whatever room I talk, I go into, I want everybody to feel good. I want everyone to feel comfortable and to have a good time. And when it's the opposite, I feel, un- I feel uncomfortable and like I can feel it in the air and I, there's tension and I don't like it. So maybe that's what it is. You know, it's just like, it's funny. I was watching something and it was like something with the Wayans brothers and they were like, man, we just have the ability to find something funny about everything. We could be at a funeral and, and, you know, what's the name of my brother? Just be like, damn, homie's shoes is jacked up over here. (laughs) 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 That's kind of like how I feel. Like, I'm just like, I could always, like, there's always something to be, some jokes to be had, you know, obviously there's times to be serious, of course, but I just always feel like there's jokes and there's gratitude to be had, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, but even when talking about your first album, Black Hole Rainbow, that was, again, a very heavy, like when I read more about that, it was like, that was a very, you were depressed writing that. For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And as far as like depression goes, it's, you go through it in different ways and all everyone goes through it in a different way. And music was definitely cathartic in that time for me and in, in writing and I also like feel like I'm a kind of person who hides my, you know, my depression and I don't want to make it anyone else's problem. I want to, you know, and that was something that I, after Black Hole Rainbow, had to figure out how to deal with and to face and look in the mirror and be like, you know, this is something you got to work through. I mean, it sounds like you try to laugh away the pain and laugh away the hurt. Is that accurate for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would much rather make joke around and make jokes than talk about like get to like the serious seriousness of the matter, you know, but yeah, laughing for sure is healing to me. Well, how do you, how does music act as cathartic for you to releasing those emotions into working through the grief and the trauma or whatever it may be. How is music that vessel for you? You know, I feel like once I'm taking the emotions and putting them into, you know, into a song, into that form, and like it feels like it 
taps into the universe where everyone else has felt those same similar feelings and like suddenly I'm not by myself. Suddenly I'm not alone. And I think that's like one of the powers of music is like throwing this emotion into the song and then playing it in front of people and then people feeling it and being like, I completely feel where, you know, what you were feeling at that moment. That, that is magical. So, I mean, even going back to like my first show where there was only 50 people there, it sounds like it doesn't matter. It's just about that human connection of being in the presence of others with the majesty of music for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there could be one person in that room that like, that knows that this feels what you're feeling, hears what you're singing and like is with you. And that's, that is all that matters. And maybe there isn't anyone in the room. It's just, you just getting out whatever you whatever it is you wrote and you know i think that that is important too well what about even like in practice with your bandmates like is that something that i mean is practice a cathartic experience as well for you like i mean i'm a big fish fan and they talk about how much more they love practice than they actually do performing sometimes just because of the camaraderie that they have within the band is that the same for y'all absolutely like we I mean, we definitely have fun. And I would say that there's something about playing live and getting into the groove when you're like after like a week or a month of tour and halfway through, you're just like in the zone with the band. You guys are just tight. And when you're hanging out and rehearsing and getting the songs together, there's just like this free, this experimentation that we can get into, which is amazing. And, I, and that's the part I really love. But yeah, like I would say there's I like playing live with my band a little bit more than the rehearsal space. I feel like we have it, it under our in our fingers when we're live, when we're playing it. It's like there's no turning back. <laughs> well, how have how have the new songs translated to the live performance? Are those going as you expected or are they getting the crowd off their lawn chairs and getting them up dancing? How's it going? Oh, yeah. The new songs are definitely getting people moving and dancing. And that's been one of my favorites. I'm going to let my body move. Is It's one of my favorite songs to play live. And it's definitely scary. Some of the songs, I'm like, how are we going to do this? Like, right kind of crazy. You know, we're pulling off and like, but they're all like coming together in their own way, which is really fun. Yeah. Well, how do you approach creating a set list to... That's, I was talking to... Caleb Chapman from Colony House yesterday, and we were talking about crafting a set list. He was talking about just kind of creating it as a narrative arc for the show. How do you approach crafting a set list? I mean, do you want to come out getting everybody out of their chairs and dancing right from the get-go, or how do you approach that for y'all? It definitely depends on the show. You know, like, if it's like a festival, like, we'll probably, like a 45-minute, 60-minute festival set, we want to keep keep them moving. We want to keep them dancing, and maybe throw like one little song, a little slower ballad or whatever in the middle. But for the most part, like if it's like a ninety minute set, then I might start it off a little like chill with some of my older stuff, and then get them grooving, get them moving, and then hit them with some new stuff. And you know, just take our time and stretch out. And towards the end of the set, we'll you know we'll probably at least get people singing along to, you know, whether it's like Love You Anyway or Rock Out with Some Troublemaker with one of our older songs. And uh, it is definitely 
for me, I'm definitely wanting them, wanting to make people move, you know, and then provide those moments. If it's like a 90 minute set, provide a couple of those connection moments. Do the new songs kind of breathe life into you as a performer instead of being exhausted by playing Black Hole Rainbow songs for the 150th time in a year? Does that kind of energize you to be able to play new material? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it, it is, and it, you know, playing the old stuff, I love it. But like getting to see what new songs can do is really fun. Especially I'm going to let my body move. That one I'm just seeing people like lose it. And it's really fun. Well, that's, as we kind of start to wrap up, you have a really big festival performance coming up soon in Bonnaroo. Is this your first time to play Bonnaroo? It is. It's crazy. We were supposed to play it during the pandemic. And then the year after it got like rained out or something. And this year, knocking on some wood, we don't, <laughs> it's going down. So is All I Really Want to Do going to be like the monumental piece of that set to just bring it down? Is it, I mean, you keep talking about that song and how much it makes, it, how much you love it, how much you've seen the crowds of it. Is that going to be the one that brings, like just burns down the farm? You know, I, I hope it does, you know. Either <laughs> I, you know, All I Really Want to Do or uh, I'm going to let my body move or, you know, one of those two. I hope people get down to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. Well, Devin, I appreciate you talking to me today. The new album is fantastic. Highly encourage everyone to listen to it. I love it. It's beautiful. You've done a great job. So thanks so much, man. Lance, thank you for having me, my man. And seriously, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait to see it the next gig. And you got you Memphis? Is that where you're at? I'm in Memphis. Yeah, man. Every Anytime you play in town, I'm going to be there. I can guarantee it. Yes. I love it. I love it. Looking forward to it, brother. Appreciate it. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for listening to another episode of my show. For more live music podcasting, check out our other show, Jam Journals. If you're feeling kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all the social media platforms. Email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com or visit our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. So until next time, give us a subscribe, tell your friends, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.